0: Well, good morning, Arbor. My name is Jake, and as we said from day one when we started this series on worship, we said that worship is so much more than singing. Worship is so much more than a set of songs on a Sunday. To say that worship is only about singing is like saying that Thanksgiving is only about turkey, and that is ridiculous because there's mashed potatoes, there's gravy, there's stuffing, there's my mom's green bean dish, which is a staple in our house. You've got football, you've got family when it comes to Thanksgiving, so it's not just about turkey, and when it comes to worship, it is so much more than singing. You might have heard the expression that worship is a lifestyle, and it is. It is a posture It is the appropriate response when we recognize who he is and what God has done for us. And basically what worship is, is it's us declaring this back to him, not just with our lips, but in a life that is lived out in full for him. A life that proclaims through action, through compassion, through service, through humility, that God is God. And that he alone is supremely worthy of our praise and our exclusive worship. Worship is so much more than singing. Now, with that said, you don't sit down at a Thanksgiving dinner and have fish and chips. There's got to be turkey. It's a big part of Thanksgiving as singing is a huge part of worship in fact god has a thing for singing he truly does how do i know this because the bible references singing lifting up our voices in praise to him over 400 times in fact 50 of those times it is a direct command for us to sing to him In the Bible, one of the biggest books in there is the book of Psalms, and that is simply a collection of songs because God has a thing for singing. In fact, think about this. As the human race, we sing. It is in us. It is in our culture. At a birthday, we sing happy birthday. During Christmas, we sing Christmas carols, before like a sporting event, we sing the national anthem. In fact, every nation has a national anthem, just like every major university has a fight song, and every movie has a soundtrack. Radio stations, friends, they exist solely to play music, of varying styles, right? There's pop, there's rock, there's, you know, there's uh, hip-hop, and of course, there's God's preferred best, country music, right? Of course, the southern twang of beautiful angels, which I'm pretty sure right now, somebody threw a shoe at the TV or threw their phone on the ground, and that's cool, that's fine. You can have your opinion, but God loves country music, as do I, but we all love music. We listen to music when we drive. We listen to music when we jog. We listen to music when we're on hold on the phone. We listen to music in an elevator, if you can call that music. Some of us, we sing in the shower. Some of us, we listen to music at work. All of us, were are forced to listen to Phil Collins at the dentist office, but that's a must, right? You, there's no getting around that. We don't even have a choice. But music, song. There is, it's it's a part of the human existence, and why is that? Think about this. It's because we were made in the image of God, and you guessed it, yes. God has a thing for singing, for music. He truly does. Have you ever noticed that there's kind of a rhythm to nature, kind of a beat in nature? Songs, birds sing songs, and And the wind, it kind of whispers a melody. And even like the ocean comes in and comes out in a smooth rhythm, it's a big deal. God loves music. He loves it, and he especially loves it when his children sing to him. Percy is, uh, is my third child. And he's, he's beautiful. He loves to sing around the house. In fact, we love to sing around the house, all of us. Um, I used to be a worship leader. My wife is on the worship team here. My daughter Paisley actually sung on national TV when she yodeled. Percy sings as well. It's just, uh, it's just not in tune. right? It's, it's not in the right, and he doesn't hit the right notes. And my wife texted me a little while ago, and she said, Hey, guess what? When you get home, Percy has a song for you he made a song for you. And so that night when I tucked him in and I I asked him, hey, Percy, mom said you have a song for me. He's like, oh yeah. And he got really excited. And he sang a song about how much he loved his dad and how special I was to him. And then he started to sing about guns and sharks and not wetting the bed. And I'm telling you, even though it was a little all the way out there and definitely not on key. Definitely not in key. I loved it. I loved every part of it. Why? Because my son was singing to me. He was making a joyful noise to me. And whether you have a song or voice like my daughter Paisley or you have a voice like my son Percy, We're all called to sing. In fact, I heard it said once a long time ago that everyone is supposed to sing. God wants us to sing. Just not everyone's to hold a microphone at the same time. So we're supposed to sing. We're supposed to make a joyful noise. We're supposed to worship God with our lips. Why? Because our heavenly Father loves it. He loves it when we sing. King David wrote this. He said, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. That's everyone, all the earth. More than any other person on this planet, Christians have a reason to sing. In fact, Christianity is sometimes known as the singing faith. And today what I'd like to do is I would like to zero in on this aspect, this side of worship that is called singing and I want to ask the question what's the big deal? What's the point? How in the world does singing out loud to God help anything out there? And so, to answer this question, what I'd like to do is I'd look, like to look at Acts chapter 16. I want to look at an account there. This is a true story of a guy named Paul and a guy named Silas. And they were both followers of Christ, they were apostles. And they basically, in a way, sang their way out of some difficult circumstances. And so let me set this up. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, here's what was happening. They were on their way to a place of prayer. And on their way there, they ran into a fortune-telling slave girl. And the Bible tells us that this girl basically decided to stalk them, to follow them, and to shout at them as they were walking along. And so this went on, I guess, for days, until eventually, I don't know if Paul got kind of fed up with the situation or just tired of it, he kind of randomly turns and then casts a demon out of this girl. And all of a sudden, she is free. She is not following them. She's not shouting them problem solved. You would think, well done, Paul. This thing is over. You did your good deed for the day. Pat on the back. You get a gold star. But that's not exactly what happened. In fact, verse 19 says this. Here's where we start. It says when her owners, talking about the slave girl, realized that their hope of making money was gone because they didn't care about the girl, right? They they cared about making money. They seized Paul and Silas and drag them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Now, you know that your day is not starting off on the right foot when the words seized and dragged are thrown into the equation. It's not a great way to start the day, especially when you're trying to simply help someone, and that's what they were doing. So they're probably thinking that it's going to be all right. We'll just get to where we're going, and then we'll get this whole thing worked out, and everything will be straightened out. Unfortunately, it just got Worse, verse 20. So they brought them, them being Paul and Silas, before the magistrates, which is the government officials, and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Which, my friends, is not the case at all. It is not the case, it just wasn't true. So not only are they being seized and dragged, now they are being falsely accused of something that they did not do. And if that wasn't enough, look at verse 22. It says that the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, which sounds eerily familiar to just about every single social media post I've seen in the last two months, where a crowd decides to jump on The bashing bandwagon. And then look at the next verse because this is where the wheels completely come off. It says the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Verse 23. And after they had been severely flogged. And I find this interesting because Jesus himself, he was flogged. And Luke tells us about this. He is a doctor. He wrote the the book of Luke, and he also wrote this book, the book of Acts. And in here, he is informing us that Paul and Silas, they weren't just flogged, they were severely flogged. And after that, they were thrown into a prison. And the jailer commanded, or was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, which was reserved for like the worst prisoners, and fastened their feet in the stalks. So let's review. Seized, dragged, falsely accused, stripped, beaten, severely flogged, and now they're being thrown into a high security prison with chains on. I think it is safe to say, as you go into the next passage here, it says about midnight, I think it is safe to say and admit that they had a bad day. That was a bad day, I have read the book Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Friends, this, <laughs> this is worse than that. Paul and Silas were in a tad more frustrating situation than a flat tire, than getting caught behind a school bus, or having to homeschool their kids, or to have to wear a mask. Friends, I get it. Our world isn't in a good place. I get that. And as a pastor, I have had countless conversations about people who are really struggling, really struggling out there, wrestling with the situation, wrestling with depression. And honestly, all of us, if we're just shooting straight, we're done. We're cooked. We want this to be over. We're tired. We're frustrated. We're hurt we're all hurting and what do we know we know that hurt people hurt people and so many people are hurting one another and the problem is we just don't know when this is going to end right we don't know we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to COVID we don't know what the future holds but I've said it many times we know here who holds the future We truly do. And so how? How um, did Paul and Silas respond in their situation? What they do in the middle of their terrible, horrible, no good, very bad situation. Here's what they did. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and, here it is, singing hymns to God. They were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I get praying, right? That makes sense to me. I understand that because we've all prayed that prayer. Oh, God, help me now. I need you to intervene. We've all prayed that prayer. But scripture tells us that they weren't just praying, that they were singing hymns. They were worshiping smack dab in the middle of their painful, stressful circumstance. Paul and Silas, they had a choice. They had a choice. They could worry or they could worship. They could worry about their circumstances or they could worship in the middle of their circumstances. Friends, today we have the same choice. We have the same decision to make. We find ourselves wrapped up, strapped down, and confined to these COVID circumstances. That's where we're at. And we could worry or we could worship. A warrior we could worship. It is a choice. Pastor Rick Warren, he said this at one point in time. He said, your most profound and intimate experiences of worship will likely be in your darkest days. Friends, this is coming from a man who lost their son to suicide. He's saying that our most profound experience of worship will most likely be in our darkest days. When your heart is broken, when you feel abandoned, when you're out of options, when the pain is great, and you turn to God alone. We can worry, or we could choose to worship. Now, let's be honest here. Worry is our natural knee-jerk response when we are faced with frustrating circumstances. It's almost instinctual to, to worry. That's what we do. We worry about so much stuff. We worry about where we're going to live. We worry about where we're going to vacation. We worry about what we're going to wear. We worry about, you know, the weather, what people think. We worry about, you know, whether our hair is going to turn gray. We worry about whether we're going to lose hair or find a hair in our food. We worry about, you know, if we go to a party, if someone else is going to be wearing the same dress as us. I mean, that's a big one for me. I struggle with that. We worry about a lot, but what's funny is in the midst of all this worrying, I think we all know that worrying does nothing. It doesn't help anything. We all know this. We do. I heard someone once say that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it takes you nowhere. Even Jesus asked the question, can any of you, any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And of course, the answer is no. Worrying is pointless. It's like a screen door on a submarine. It doesn't belong. It doesn't do anything. There's no reason to worry. There really isn't. And for some reason, we know this, and yet we find ourselves worrying about our situation. Can I suggest, and this is huge, instead of simply trying not to worry, right, trying really hard not to worry, Why don't we replace our worry with the act of worship? Replace our worry. Intentionally shift our focus from everything that's moving on around us to something that is above us. Something that is in control of all of our circumstances. There's an author, a famous American poet named Ralph Emerson. He wrote this. He said, sorrow looks back. Worry, it looks around. But faith, faith looks up. And that is so true. We can worry or we can worship. In the beginning, I asked the question, how does worship, singing specifically, praising God, how does that help anything? Well, here's how. Worship gets God's attention. When we sing to him, it gets his attention. Everybody has something that gets their attention. Years ago, when Paisley was three years old, she was 3 years old and we were both inside of the living room. She was on the floor and she was playing with her tea set. I was sitting in the couch doing something very important. I was watching Seahawks football, which I pray, I hope, gosh, may it please happen this year. But I'm watching Seahawks football. She's on the floor. She's playing with her tea set and then unprompted, un, you know, totally spontaneous. I had no idea this was coming. She stopped Her tea set um, party, her tea party, she got up. She went over to the couch. She got up and climbed on my lap and she put her face right in front of my face, like blocking the screen. And she took both of her hands and she put them on the side of my cheeks and she pulled me in really close. And she's three years old and she just said, Daddy, I love you. And then she let her hands go. She slipped off my lap. Went right down back to her tea party. And my heart melted. I was like, What do you want? You want a pony? (laughs) You want a pink car? Because daddy will get you a pink car. I'm on a pastor's budget. Probably have to steal it, but daddy will get you a pink car. And some some of you might be like, Hey, Jake, well, she was manipulating you. Well, (laughs) it worked, okay? And dads, you know what I'm talking about. She had my attention completely she had my attention. And it's the same thing when it comes to God. When we sing praises to him, it gets his attention of our heavenly father. You might, like, you, am I making this up? I'm not. It's right here. Look at this in verse 26. Paul and Silas, they're in jail. They start to sing hymns, praises to God. And here's what it says. Verse 26, suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. God sent an earthquake, an earthquake. He didn't take a little dove and send it on in through the jail cell and through the bars to land on Silas's shoulders and say, hey, guess what? Everything's gonna be okay. He didn't text him. He didn't send an encouraging tweet. He sent an earthquake an earthquake. Who do you know who can send an earthquake? You don't know anybody who could send an earthquake. You don't know anybody who could shake up your circumstances like they need to be shaken up And if you need an earthquake, if you need your life to be flipped upside down, if you need it to be shaken up, my suggestion, my prayer is that you would lift your hands in the air, you would lift your voice, and you would sing praises to your God, and watch what happens to your problems. Just watch. In fact, I have a friend, he says this all the time. He says, praise is a problem for your problems. He loves that phrase. Praise is a problem for your problems. Our God sends earthquakes. And not only earthquakes. Look at what he does in the next verse. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. How does worship help? First, it gets God's attention. Second, worship sets people free. Worship sets people free. Did you catch that? It was all the prison doors flew open, and everyone, everyone's chains came loose. Now you might think, wait, wait wait a second, who was singing? Was it Paul and Silas, right? They were singing. So, but whose chains came off? Everyone's chains came off. Hear this, this is so important. God will set other people free because of your worship. He will set people free because of your worship. And notice this. Notice that the chains didn't just come off. All the prison doors were opened as well. How frustrating would that have been if the chains came off and they're still stuck, you know, in the prison cell? Like, I am free. I am free to run around the cell. That's what our world offers us. The world offers us a temporary solution, a temporary relief. All you can do is run around in a prison cell. It'll take some of your struggles away, but you're still stuck in a prison cell. Jesus, and Jesus alone, offers freedom from the greatest imprisonment known to man. It is freedom from sin and all that that involves. That is why Jesus said, He who the sun sets free, he's talking about himself, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Nobody has made their circumstances better by focusing on how bad their circumstances are. They just seem to get bigger. When you focus on your problems and you lean into them and you worry about them, they just seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But when we choose to worship first, when we choose to, you know, worship over worrying, when we choose to focus in on Jesus and sing our praises to him, our problems are put in the proper perspective. They truly are. They shrink in comparison because Jesus, and we know this, is so much bigger than our problems. He is so much greater than our circumstances. He is greater than your past. He is greater than your financial situation. He is greater than some pandemic. He is greater than the fear of a pandemic. He is greater than cancer. He's greater than divorce. He is greater than your busted up marriage. He is greater than your prodigal child. And wherever they're at, he can bring them home. He is greater than anything that you have gone through and are currently going through. And so no matter where you are today, no matter what you've walked through, through whatever, no matter where you're sitting, no matter what you have done, you got to know that Jesus is bigger. He is bigger than whatever has got you worried. Worship, and when we praise him, it sets us free. It truly does. Personally, I want to live a life of worship. I want to live a life of worship for my king. Do I do this every day? No, I do not. Do I fail? Yes, I do. Do I desire strongly to the core of my being to sing my praise to him? I really do. I want to. I want to bring him glory. I want to be so freed up from the junk that is in my life that all I can't help but sing. I'm compelled to sing to him. About 20 years ago, I just started as a pastor, and I remember I was going through a whole bunch of stuff, difficult circumstances, and as a pastor, you're really not sure what to do when something like that comes up because you can't exactly go to your own church, right? And so I went and visited a church when I just started with all this stuff on my mind. I wanted to go there because I wanted to be anonymous, I wanted to just blend on in where I could worship without eyes on me and so that I could have the freedom to worship my Lord and to wrestle through the struggles that were in my heart at that time. So I went to another church service. And when I walked in, my hopes of being anonymous and just kind of blending in completely blew up because I ran into a guy named Bill. And Bill, he greeted me. He said, hello, my name is Bill and you are new here. And he didn't just say it, quietly. He said it loudly for all to hear, and he didn't come up and shake my hand. In fact, Bill came up, and he gave me a gigantic bear hug right from the beginning. He just came up, gave me a huge hug, and he just, at that point, he kept going. He carried me around the whole entire, um, like, you know, auditorium, and he introduced me to all of the people there. Uh, he's like, hi, this is Jake. This is my new friend. And he did it so loud, and it was it was happening over and over again. And I'm thinking to myself, I just want to blend in. I just want to blend in. And the thing with Bill is this, is that Bill had Down syndrome. He, uh, I don't know how many friends he had. I don't know if he was an official greeter or not. But, but what makes this story so terrible is that I was so consumed with what was going on in my world that I didn't pay attention to Bill. I just wanted to be away from Bill, so I did. I made up an excuse. As a pastor, I lied. They do that sometimes. And I lied, and I found myself to the back of the room and escaped from Bill, and then worship started. And I thought, okay, here we go. And as I'm worshiping, I cannot help but notice Bill is up to the left-hand side of me. This was 20 years ago. I still remember this to this day and he's up in front of me, and I'm struggling to worship because Bill is worshiping all out. If there were rafters that he could reach, he would have been swinging from them. He wasn't just singing. He was shouting the praise. He was dancing in the the aisle. He was worshiping with reckless abandon. He was going, going, going for it. He was singing to his God the praise that was in his heart, and I found myself in that moment looking and comparing my worship, as I sat there struggled with all the stuff that I was wrestling with and, and all the stuff that was in my mind, what are people going to think? Should I raise my hand? Should I not? What, what, what should I do? And I see Bill and I see me and I asked this question and I remember thinking, who is God more pleased with in this moment? Is he more pleased with my worship or is he more pleased with Bill's worship? And I found myself jealous of a man with Down syndrome and the relationship that he had with Jesus. And I found myself desiring to be more like Bill in that moment. I wanted to worship like that. I wanted to know Jesus like that. I wanted to love God back so wholeheartedly, so without reservation, like childlike expression, of unrelenting passion. That night, I was so wrapped up in worry while Bill was so wrapped up in worship. And he worshiped. Friends, I want to close with a question. Are you going to worry about everything that's around you? Or are you going to worship God who controls everything around you? I recognize that when it comes to actually singing and responding with praise through a screen, that that is difficult. It's one of the hardest things for us to figure out, how does this translate? It's hard to find this to translate through a screen. And and so you might be thinking, well, that's awkward. It's uncomfortable to sing to a screen. And I just want to remind you, you're not singing to a screen. You're singing to a king. And he wants you to praise him. And I encourage you that wherever you're at, whether you're watching this at home in front of your family or you're watching this and you're, you know, hopefully you're not watching it in the car, but you're listening to it in the car, or whatever you're doing, however you're at, I encourage you in the words of Elsa to let it go. And sing out loud with reckless abandon to worship him right now. We're going to sing a couple more songs. And I I encourage you to engage, engage, engage. I know you've got a lot to worry about. We've got so much to worry about. There's so much going on out there. But let us focus in on Jesus. And the problems of this world will begin to fade away in comparison to his glory. And so let us worship him now. May we be a church that worships first. May we be a church that when we walk into difficult circumstances, we choose to sing like Paul and Silas did outside, inside a jail cell that freed them from that jail cell. May we be a church that worships in freedom just like Bill worshiped. May we be a church that sings praise no matter how we feel because God deserves all the praise, all the glory, and all the worship that we can give. Let's do that now. Let's pray.